want to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where I bring on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives to share their top tips for success with you. My name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram, Ask Adam Torres, to keep up with my book releases, book tour, all of that great stuff. Love to connect with you there. Um, and as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to their website, moneymatterstoptips.com, and click on Become an Author. Uh, really excited today to have Frank Ackridge on the line. He's the VP of Tax Strategies and Private Wealth Services for Howard Capital Management, Inc., and he is an expert in helping individuals create um, multiple income streams. Uh, Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. It's good to be here. So I, I read your bio, and I, I know that you are an expert in tax strategies, different um, income streams, and we're going to get into that. And I know a lot of the listeners are absolutely interested in how they can create different income streams. Um, but before we get into that, let's just go back into your background a little bit. How did you get involved as, as an entrepreneur in finance? Oh, gosh, it, it goes way back. I grew up in a home in Dallas, Texas with a business owner. My dad owned... Uh, service stations back in the day of full service stations, and so I kind of grew up sweeping driveways and and uh, checking oil and and sweeping more driveways. And uh, and as I grew up, you know, I just got I kind of didn't know anything but business. And then he began to set me up in, you know, the uh, primary businesses like lemonade stands, Coca Cola stands, and uh, you know, yard service and mowing yards. And so it just developed. I just never had a job. Um, and I think in my short 66 years on the planet, I think I've worked officially been an employee two years, and and, and it didn't go all that great. So um, I did, I just kind of grew up in an entrepreneurial home and never knew any different. And our dad's slogan growing up was always make sure you're in your own business. Wow, that's great. Um, and you know, it's kind of interesting. I, you took me back to my childhood. So my dad growing up owned an auto body shop. So I okay. grew up around cars, and I just, you know, that's that's what I knew. Also, I always just knew him as a as a as a um, as an entrepreneur, and he always worked in, in the auto business. And um, kind of interesting. So, what what kind of things did you, did you get from those? Like, let's go just a little bit deeper um, for maybe some of the people that didn't have those experiences growing up. What what kind of um, insight do you think having that early experience did for you? Oh gosh, uh, yeah, and probably like you, unknowingly. What I learned to do was think outside the box because when you own the business, you're always in problem-solving mode, always. And so my dad, again, raised all of us to be people who thought way outside the box. And and um, I think the other thing that you learned or I learned was what I call the chess game versus the checkers game. I always – I kind of have a deal now where when I you know, meet people who have kids, I, I always encourage them to teach their kids to play chess. And they always go, why? And I go, well, because chess forces you to think way down the road on your moves, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten moves away. Uh, and so that's what business owners do. Business owners are always thinking, okay, if, if I do this, this is going to happen. But what if I did this? Or you know, And then the other, the flip side of that is when something happens, you know, unexpectedly or get caught off guard, is you reverse that process to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So, I mean, it was, it was just kind of a natural progression that created the the ability to think the way I say it, to, to think like a business owner uh, instead of just an employee. 
Geez, I, 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 I say uh, um, brother from another mother because uh, I grew up playing chess. <laughs> that, that was our that was our game. My my dad and I. I mean, we played chess. Uh, I won't say nightly, but we didn't watch TV. Like that's all we did. We played chess and we talked. And uh, I remember um, those there games. And I still remember. I probably didn't win a game until my really late teens. I would say. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, I, I worked at them right. <laughs> right, Straight. I love that longer term out let, let, on that longer term vision. What do you think about? And and I, I kind of think you'll have some good views on this. Um, what do you think about, especially for some of the people that are maybe let's say one to five years in their career, and maybe they haven't gained that thought process of of time. So they think everything has to be done in a year or two years or three or even five years. What would you say about that longer term vision planning? Oh, good question. And there's a couple, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to skin that rabbit. But I think um, what I recommend, because when I mentor, you know, young folks, younger folks that are coming out of school or whatever, there's a couple couple angles. One is uh, a suggested reading list of books that force you into goal setting and not just, you know, one-year goals, but five and ten and longer-year goals. Uh, and there's a number of those books out there that are classics that really force you into it. I tend to be more, I don't know if it's my age or I just grew up reading them. I tend to be more of a classic reader in terms of the uh, business books and the goal setting and self-help. Um, that, number one. Number two, make sure you get a mentor. Someone, I mean, the biggest thing that happened to me was playing sports growing up. You learned to you learned to work with a coach, period, uh, <laughs> you know, whether you liked it or not. So mm-hmm. um, and, and so learning learning to work with a coach, even at a young age, and then learning to set goals, um, what happens is is you force yourself into a mode of becoming, you really become entrepreneurial because if you read Kiyosaki's books, you know, what, no matter what you think of Kiyosaki, mm-hmm. one of the things he identifies really well is is that that 90% of the income, 90% of the wealth today is, is really being controlled by 10% of the population. Those are all entrepreneurs, all of them, because I've got to get to a spot where I'm no longer trading time for money, and that's the key. Absolutely, and I, I can't I can't stress that enough to people. Everybody out there, like you need books. Whether you, I, I don't care if it's um, I like the classics also, but whether it's classic, whether it's new stuff, a lot of the new stuff is just taking stuff and repackaging it from the classics. So yeah. However you yeah. want to get it, just get the information. Um, and let's change let's change um, gears just a little bit. Let's talk about um, I think that's a good transition about what you're currently doing as VP of Tax Strategies over at Howard Capital Management. Um, who are your clients? What kind of clients do you have, and, and how do you help them? Uh, it's it's a great opportunity, and, and again, kind of the transition, you know, multiple different businesses, and then uh, my father-in-law actually tricked me into the financial industry about <laughs> almost 20 years ago, um, and that's a long story, but it's a good father-in-law story, and it was a blessing. You know, I, I as long as he was alive, I always kind of kidded him and thanked him, um, but when I got into the financial industry, I had done a number of different businesses and got into this industry. I knew I wanted to help people. That was just kind of one of those givens. And so the the concept then became where can you make the bigger impact with people? And, of course, in a 20-year career in the industry, uh, I've pretty much done it all. Uh, and in the process, uh, to get where I am today, uh, made again, you go back to the, the networking concept of, of, you know, making sure you're always networking with people and connecting and so um, got to the place where I had enough experience and enough 
life and enough knowledge and expertise where when one of my uh, real good friends from, you know, 10 years earlier was cranking up a new uh, investment firm over here in the Atlanta area, you know, he called and said, hey, I need somebody I trust to run it. And so ended up over here. And then what we found was that, go back to that 90-10 rule, the private wall services angle with your high net worth folks, you would not think this is true, Adam, but probably except for federal employees, the high net worth folks are probably the most underserved group of folks in the financial industry. You would think they are, but I always compare it to the really good-looking girl when you were a junior in high school and you went to the Friday night dance and you kind of went by yourself or whatever and she was really good-looking and you never get, you never went to ask her to for a dance because you figured, you know, she already had a date or she already had people asking her. And in reality, she was just sitting there not dancing. And that's kind of the high net worth folks. So what I get to do is kind of head up the team that we have here that that literally engages with, uh, you know, that group of folks and helps them solve their life issues related to their financial goals. No, that's great. And what I found in my career um, is that a lot of high net worth individuals don't actually know they're high net worth individuals. So you got a guy or <laughs> right. you know you got a guy or girl that or or man or woman whatever that are uh, that are have had their nose to the grindstone for ten, twenty, thirty years running their business. Business is growing. They know their P and L. They know everything that's going on. The only time they actually realize they're a high net worth individual is at some point when they have to get an estate plan done a lot of times. Right. And then the well, husband right. and the wife and they'll sit down and they'll be like and they'll and they'll look at each other and they're like, Where'd all this stuff come from? And then it almost becomes <laughs> I won't use the word a burden, but it really changes the um and I gets a little bit more into the behavioral finance side of things, but it can change a household potentially oh, yeah. or better or worse if the if the if it's not really managed by a company in the correct manner. Um because again, I, I've seen it happen so many times in my career. You're like it's just like, hey, where'd all this stuff come from? And say, well yeah right. <laughs> you built right. a huge business. I agree. You got a couple hundred employees, <laughs> like like yeah. They came from the from the fruit of all your labor. Now it's time to look at it correctly. Right. <laughs> when if there's somebody out there right now, because as I mentioned, I have a lot of individuals, very successful business owners that are listening to this. Now, let's just let's play with this a little bit. What what are some signs that somebody's high net worth, Frank, and they should have, if they haven't already, met with a financial advisor or, or planner that, hey, you're probably in that camp? What would you say would be a good tall tale sign? Oh, uh, good question. One is, more, more than likely, like you mentioned, more than, you know, 80% of them uh, tend to be business owners. So that's, you know, but they tend to be a business owner who has finally gotten to a place where they've got money left over. And what I mean by that is, you know, because you tend to put all your money back into your business when you're building it. When all of a sudden you find yourself with money left over and you're starting to find yourself actually looking at paying cash for uh, stuff that you never would have paid cash for 10 years earlier or 20 years earlier, that's normally a pretty good sign that that you've got some, some uh, you know, like you said, some assets out there that you probably haven't even tabulated right, lately. But we, we tend to see that about the time they start – uh, getting to the place where they're paying cash for cars or cash for, you know, that kind of assets and or the, they've got money left over. I mean, at the end of the year, they're starting to pay taxes on cash, that kind of stuff. Then it's kind of like, oh, heck, what happened? 
Oh, that's great. That, that's a great tip. So if you're out there listening and you're just finding out, like, you, you, I mean, that's really good information, Frank. I appreciate that. I haven't heard those exact ones, but I figured you had something that just stuck out to you. I didn't. I had never even considered those, honestly. <laughs> like, but you're right. When you start paying for a lot of things in cash, when your tax situation is is getting a little bit more trickier, and maybe your your current level of another thing I find is this, and this isn't to Please, this is not to down anybody out there, but a lot of another big mistake I find, and you, I'd love to hear your information on this, is a, a business owner that starts with an accountant or CPA that they were with 20 years ago doesn't reassess whether that CPA or accountant is still the right one for them. You may have outgrown right. what correct. they are actually proficient in, especially on the tax side. Can you comment mm-hmm. on that, please? Yeah, I can. In fact, I would tell you, that, you know, the owner of our firm, we have a standing joke here that one of the tax attorney groups we work with, with our uh, high net worth folks, uh, our owner actually was introduced to that group because our owner literally just got tired. His his wording, he got tired of buying the IRS a house every year, and then and, and then all of a sudden he was buying them too. And all of a sudden he looked at his particular accountant CPA and realized that that this particular CPA accountant, and again, you know, like you said, no. No downing. It just happened to be it wasn't his expertise. He was a uh, he was an accountant that worked with middle income folks and didn't know all the tax breaks and the tax advantages, and so he wasn't taking it. So our owner went over to the tax attorneys, and he's no longer you know buying a house for the IRS anymore, which is cool. Yeah. So another thing I throw out there for anybody listening is if you have been with the same person twenty thirty years and your business if you started as a, as a mom and pop and you have you know, one or two people and you bootstrap that business and 10, 15, 20 years later, you're you're sitting at a decent amount of employees and revenue, you might just want to ask and kind of get a feel for what your um, CPA, what the practice looks like. Right. If this is a practice like you, then and there's only a outliers, if they have a random number, if there's 100 clients, think two to five you and the rest that middle category, probably not staying on, on that two to five client uh, just because the time in other business and started in that middle group, um, there are others there that only special on that top bracket, the business owners, and it does make um, – is there any, um, I mean, different things happening, obviously, I'd, I'd like to hear your um, your kind of input on, you know, how FinTech, if you will, is, is kind of helping the industry along, especially on the tax and wealth management side. Oh, good question. Um, I mean, you know, it, for those of us that started back with a calculator and a pencil and mm-hmm. you know, a, a financial calculator and then and then tried to move over taxes, the biggest thing I see is, is that what you just said is it allows the actual owners – uh, or the investors, or whatever the situation is, actually lets them to actually get a little savvy on their situation. You know, before they were totally dependent on those of us who had the financial calculators and/or the certifications or whatever it was. And today, with the software and fintech, you know, the average the average consumer, investor, and/or business owner can really go online, find some cool stuff that you don't have to be a CPA and you don't have to be a CFP and you don't have to be all those things to be able to actually pull up a uh, financial plan and look at your situation and go, oh my gosh, you know. Um, so fintech, I think, on that end has been great. On my end, it's the the uh, unbelievable ability to literally crank out 
to get the data, get the data analyzed, and put together a proposal uh, for a high net worth individual in a matter of hours instead of days. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan. It just it just allows productivity to go up. It allows accuracy to go up. It allows the relationships to get better because there's right. more um, there's more uh, data at your feet. So now you can look at a year or anything else quick, uh, a lot faster. I laugh right. when people ask, you know, financial planning and how long it's been around. I'm like, well, it, it's not that been around that long. Maybe 70s, uh, late set mid to late 70s at the latest. Before that, it was just. Um, it was just your CPA knew your accountant, your accountant mm-hmm. maybe knew your lawyer, and you might have had a broker that bought and sold stock for you. That was called your financial plan, and nobody really talked to each other. It was up to the up to the person um, if you weren't in the entertainment and had a business manager or something of that nature, but for the average right. high net worth individual, um, if maybe they had a general counsel that brought those people together, but not really. I mean, you had to be really wealthy to have an additional layer on there. So now with FinTech, with the certifications, with all the other things that are just available, and then the, the ability for clients to check on them, to check themselves the, the information given to them, um, I mean, we've never, in my opinion, been at such a great place for finance, for investing, for transparency um, on, on all the different things. Um, so Frank, I, I could talk to you all day long, but let's. Um, let, if somebody wants to, if somebody wants to get a hold of Howard Capital Management, if they have, they've been listening to this and they're thinking, ah, oh, you know, I might fall in that category. I have, maybe I am high net worth. I'm paying for a lot of stuff in cash, and I haven't reassessed tax strategies in a while or investing. Um, how, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, the two ways easy. My email is uh, Frank F R A N K at Howard. C as in cat, M as in Mary. So Frank at howardcm.com. And our uh, my phone number, my direct line is 800-250-5930. And then we have a website, which is just www.howardcm.com. All right, Frank. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, appreciate all the knowledge and tips you gave to uh, to the listeners. And to the listeners, uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. Um, don't forget to connect with me over on Instagram, at AskAdamTorres. And to apply to be a co-author in one of my books, click on Become an Author over at MoneyMattersTopTips.com. Have a wonderful day. And thank you, Frank.